everybody. My name is Eric Johnson, and welcome to another edition of Running Into the Fog uh, with Derek and Eric Johnson, the Joe Bros, otherwise known as. And today, our special guest is Ms. Marie Mansheim, an old friend of ours who uh, is doing exciting things out there in the world of manufacturing and beyond. And uh, we first got to know Marie back in the, boy, I think it was the early 2000s when we first met. And uh, in fact, if it weren't for Marie, we wouldn't be in the software business. Uh, and we'll dig into some of that here as we go. But Derek, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, thanks, Eric. And Marie, it's really great to have you on our show today. Um, <laughs> thanks. You know, when I think about Marie Mansheim, the, the words uh, truth teller, you know, unafraid of delivering um, a hefty dose of reality to your stakeholders from time to time when it's needed, uh, but also someone that's uh, able to rally around them and get them energized and, and motivated for a future that maybe is a little bit foggy, uh, sometimes a little bit um, you know, un uncertain you know, at the start. But uh, for me, you've, you've always been an inspiration uh, to me and to Eric from that standpoint. You, you just speak the truth and you know, that's uh, quite frankly, really healthy and, and motivating to be around. So again, Thanks for the great friendship. Uh, you know, what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> well, well, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about what's going on in the world, and and you know, from a, a client standpoint, what's going on outside the walls? Because again, you That's know, a great. You gotta look outside the windows, right? <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's a great place to start. And actually, I'm super interested in kind of what the state of affairs is in your world. And um, kind of, obviously, yeah. we're about 11 months into a fairly deep lockdown that uh, I think 11 months ago, they said two weeks to flatten the curve. Uh, yeah. And here we are. Uh, so um, what's life like in Marie's world? It's gotten really interesting, because from the standpoint of a lot of folks really kind of sweating it, uh, we do at uh, the firm I work for, WMEP, we do a pulse survey and we're doing our fifth one. And I'll be interested to see the results come back because we haven't done it since about October. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things where everybody was kind of moaning and everything was going down and everyone needed sales. And um, they are very busy right now in the manufacturing community. Sales are up and backlogs are through April and May in a lot of cases. Um, I worked with one particular client for an hour on the phone and he, at the end of the conversation, looked at me and said, you know, steel prices have gone up three times while we've been talking. Oh no. Wow. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so uh, suppliers are, are getting tight, prices are going up and backlogs are getting full, which is just interesting um, from that standpoint of guys that were trying to understand how they were going to make it through the end of the year and, and were doing a lot of strat planning at the end of the year. Now, suddenly come January, kind of the, uh, the dam has broken. And, and now they're trying back at trying to find people, trying to figure out how to get it done, how to get people back on the premise and, and, and how many shifts can I run, which is an interesting right. problem to have. <laughs> yeah. But it was very light switch almost um, in the change in the environment. And uh, so, yeah, it's been interesting. Well, I remember a conversation that we had last year. I don't remember exactly when it was, but um... I said to you, as I recall, Marie, we're about to have a manufacturing renaissance uh, in the United States in the, in the next decade ahead. And um, I think you asked me why I thought that, and uh, though you agreed, and I said, well, because we're gonna have to make our own stuff. Um, yeah. We've got a uh, situation with our currency 
uh, that probably is not a good one. Uh, and of course, we, we operate in a global economy where the dollar is the world's reserve currency. And as long as that remains, you know, the, uh, the denomination by which most world trade is conducted, uh, we're in a pretty good position as a nation, but uh, that, there's no guarantee uh, for that. And uh, I know that every place that isn't the United States is trying to figure out how to change that status quo for the last, well, I don't know, 80 years or so. Right. Uh, so what? any thoughts about kind of that, the global economy and, and in particular where Wisconsin fits, but um, you know, manufacturing in general, how do, how do we go yeah. forward with a little more certainty about what's gonna come next? Yeah, I think from the standpoint of certainty, it's, um... That's a hard one because you just don't know what's going to happen. You can start to look around corners and you can start to look at markets. And, and I think manufacturers traditionally, especially in the small to mid space, look at applications. I got this capability. How can I apply it? Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? As opposed to thinking about markets. And I think that's a, a big switch in the last uh, during the pandemic in the last nine months, because we've done a lot of helping people pivot. And it's what markets are you in? And helping them understand too that exporting is a market and that you know 80% of what you need to know, you already know, only 20% is different. So how do you go ahead and do that? But then also there's a lot of talk of reshoring of how do we bring things back in? And the conversation also turns to, well, if I had a market, I would go after this one, oil and gas. And you know, and how is that gonna work? And, and, and what manufacturers need to start understanding and, and businesses in general is you may have a great market opportunity. The market not be might not be shored up right now for you to participate in that, but you need to start watching it, looking at the competition, looking at it and start collecting some market intelligence in order to understand when that tide turns so you can take advantage of it. So I think globally, uh, there's a lot of people who are also looking at it from, and, and I was just reading an article yesterday that was lines up with some conversations I had that we need to not quite be so lean. <laughs> we need to have some product here. We need to have supplies. We need to have other sources um, because we got kind of stuck and mm -hmm. maybe that we just uh, JIT did a little too much. <laughs> so from that standpoint, I think there's a lot of changes in looking at markets as opposed to just applications. Uh, from that standpoint, it makes a lot more sense. Wow. Yeah. Interesting thought, you know, JIT did too much. So yeah. Um, yeah, I go back to college class I had on throughput and organizational efficiency related to that, obviously. And, you know, I think that the JIT did too much, you know, transcends manufacturing to professional services and it becomes a talent acquisition. Right. So talent alignment with uh, product portfolio, with growth ambitions and all, all of the above. Right. Right. At the end right. of the day. And it's 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 got to be interesting sitting in your shoes, seeing some manufacturers who are arguably super efficient at that process and others where they they might need some work. How do you create community, um, you know, effects around that, Marie? Have you had any success doing that from the standpoint of being able to borrow best practices of what some manufacturers might be doing really, really well and sort of letting all the others participate in, in those best practices moving forward? And yeah, and I think they really need to look at best practices outside their industry. 
Um, so, you know, I, I use the line a lot, you know, I've looked under the hood of 600 companies. So start using some practices from someplace else to help you understand how you can be different and more efficient in your particular arena. Uh, a case in point is I just talked to a new general manager who's been on the job for a, a, a good sized manufacturing company here in Wisconsin who came from a completely different industry. And, and the owner group said, no, we need to bring in fresh ideas, somebody who is professional management because that aspect doesn't change, um, but bring them in from different industries so they can start to see different best practices, different culture building. And it was really around his background on culture building because we're not manufacturing people. So there's only so many uh, machinists out there and how do we build a culture around that and make sure that we've got people um, that are engaged and that are accountable, that are responsible, that are actually using the continuous improvement tools from kind of the lean culture aspect of it to really get better and enjoy coming to work and doing that. So I think there's a huge kind of rally around that. But there are tons of different practices that I think you have to look at from other industries that you're able to bring into your business. Um, I, I was just talking to somebody an hour ago who said, maybe we should take him on a tour of this place. And I said, no, that, that's doing the same thing they're doing. <laughs> Let's go take them someplace different and let them walk around and take a look. Um, and that is especially true. Uh, automation's becoming huge, you know, with the talent shortage and continuous improvement. How do you do that? You start to do in some repetitive injury type situations. How do you do that? And that's really with automation. And it seems like with automation, they have to, to see it, to believe it and uh, really be able to view that and, and understand how they can make um, automation work for them, work for their uh, operation and work for their people. And, and then you've got the, the added little piece on that of cybersecurity. <laughs> so no big they deal. Come, yeah, no big deal. That's important. <laughs> That's a big one, you know, because there's, you know, from that standpoint, cybersecurity is getting to be, um, what was it just did recently, uh, a wastewater treatment plant taken over <laughs> in Florida. So, you know, there's, there's cybersecurity support. Yeah. One of the things that really stood out to me in the last few years, and I'm curious for your thoughts on this, we're a pretty apolitical show. Uh, yeah. So uh, we have a new administration, uh, you may have noticed in the, in the White House, and they've gonna, they're going to have some different uh, policy choices going forward. Um, I'm kind of curious about your take on how that's going to affect uh, manufacturers. And, and where I want to go with that is several years ago, of course, Foxconn had its big uh, announcement um, and a lot of consequences that happened as a result of all that. And uh, while I think it hasn't necessarily produced the, uh, you know, tsunami of manufacturing jobs that we expected to come out of that event, um, obviously, I think the the industrial industry 4.0 industrial automation a lot of those forces are going to change manufacturing and the way i sort of see it and i'd love to get your take on this you have these big big manufacturing companies the rockwells you know right, and the right. jcis of the world who you know harley davidson i mean they're pretty well resourced they've got a pretty good handle on what they're doing right. and then you've got tens of thousands of others, makers and metal benders and, you know, food companies and just they, every, every other company in Wisconsin that is, and frankly, the Great Lakes region as a whole, um, 
where do they go from here? I guess is the, is my question is, is, is there a knowledge transfer of some kind between the big guys and the little guys that can help the little guys not get eaten? Yeah. I guess that you're referring to OEM versus a tier one or a tier two supply. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so every going back to your original thought on the election, you know, do strap planning and do, do a lot of SWATs. And every time, every four years, it comes up, oh no, the administration could change and it's on the, it's on the threat section. And I haven't seen anything different. I haven't seen anything change. It, it's, it's a, a lot of talk before the election and when they're doing year end SWATs and then it just trails off. So this, so far, this has been the same thing I've seen every time there's an election. So from that standpoint, that the conversation just trails off and there's not much else said. Um, so I don't, I, in fact, I was sitting with a client who wanted me to put on the threats and I'm like, fine, election, next. Yeah. <laughs> so from, cause it just never, nothing ever produces from it and they move on to something else. So going to the second half of that is the OEMs really working with those tier one and tier two. And I think there's just a lot of decisions being made by companies on how they operate, because a lot of them will work with an OEM. So an original equipment manufacturer like the Rockwells and the rest of them and work with them directly. And some, and, and even take work then as, as a tier one supplier to somebody else who's working with them and, and even sometimes tier two. And it just depends upon the type of work that they're looking at. But there is, you know, a little bit of knowledge transfer that goes on. Of course, sometimes um, Big Brother doesn't, you know, people don't want Big Brother coming in <laughs> and having that conversation with them. A, a lot of a number of years ago, there was plans where OEMs would um, actually put out programs for tier ones to help them reduce their costs. Mm. And then with the with the uh, hammer of then the reduced cost comes back to me that right. never it's, it's heavy handed in some respects and in some respects it's not, it, it's kind of died on the vine, if you will, over the years I've been in that we just kind of looked at, nah, that's, that's all right. Um, so I think from that standpoint, you've got, I have a lot of people who mix with those OEMs and you can't have a, a steady diet. Um, nobody wants to be beholden 75% to a particular customer. Um, that that hurts from the standpoint of diversity and valuation and all sorts of things. Mm. And so from that standpoint, usually people have a, a big mix on that. So there is some knowledge transfer that goes on more than likely somebody like us will come in and actually help them understand that knowledge transfer and, and be able to do some of those things um, that they need to do in order to be And cybersecurity is a big one. Um, that's actually some programs coming out of um, Washington that through mm. NIST that are coming down to help with cybersecurity, especially in the defense area. So it's an interesting equation that doesn't always work out. <laughs> right. So. Well, I think a lot of, and Derek, feel free to jump in here anywhere. I was just gonna remark that as products get smarter, yeah. um, the manufacturer has to get smarter as an enterprise. And frankly, the shop floor has to get smarter in terms of how it uses data and yeah. Um, you know, the, the whole internet of things yeah. and 5G, you know, those two sort of trend together in terms of if I can connect everything to the internet and know when a service failure is about to happen, then I'm no longer just a manufacturer. 
I'm a full ecosystem provider. And as that sort of gets pushed down from, you know, I think of GE, uh, you know, jet engines where they won't sell you the jet engine, they'll lease you the jet engine that they continue to own as a capital equipment expense. Now it's an operating expense on your books. How is, I guess, smaller manufacturing yeah. adopted or adapted to this new sort of multivariate business model of, of being an ecosystem provider, even at, at the small scale? It really depends because, I mean, there's all sorts of variations across that. And a lot of times you're looking at Internet of Things. It really depends upon what their buildings look like. Um, mm -hmm. I remember working with a role I had having a technician having to jump in their car and drive five miles to get a cell signal to talk to me about a software glitch. So the being able to even get access inside the building was kind of a, a, an out there sort of thing. So we have the infrastructure problems because you have a lot of manufacturers in what rural areas, right? So even this body, I had even one company that had dirty, we finally were doing their systems integration and said, you have dirty electric. Yeah. It, I can't help you with dirty power. <laughs> we're going to have problems. So I think there's, it's continued, you know, they're all along the spectrum of people who get it. And, um, and I think you made a really clear point in there is what are you going to do with the data? And I think mm -hmm. there's a spectrum on people who understand not only what they have and what they can do, but what they can do with the data. I think they get caught up in the fun of let's mm -hmm. automate something and don't understand if that's actually going to have strategic value or take away from their value proposition. And then also, how do they do that and use the data and forget the, the kind of technology of it and understand what they're going to do with the information and what business decision they're going to make with that? Because if they don't, then it's just kind of for fun and games. And, and we've gone into a lot of places where it was like, no, that's not really the value operation. Yeah, that's a cool piece of equipment. Yeah, that's a cool way to do that. But that's not where you're gonna get the most value or worse yet, you're gonna, you're gonna wreck your value proposition. So they're all along the, the spectrum of don't have any to uh, a fairly sophisticated uh, operation. So I think a lot of it's going to be driven as, as uh, as earlier through the OEM and down through tier ones are gonna start requiring things. And how are you, in order to make, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, in order to make the price point they needed for a big customer, we're gonna to have to automate this. We can't do it any other way. And then there's that conversation of, you know, employees and what are you gonna do with employees who are looking at it as you're taking my job? So having that conversation and really thinking about it from a human resources standpoint, of how are we going to implement, because it's not just getting the technology and using um, networks and getting everybody up to speed, even from a training standpoint, it's okay, how are we going to change manage this culture to understand what we're doing? And I think uh, change management is a huge, as much as it's a pain <laughs> and it's hard to do and it's got defined processes and, and you, know, you can step through it, it's still really hard to do. And in a lot of cases it's skipped too. And, and that really hurts you in the end um, and getting that adoption. Right. Marie, have you ever had a manufacturer, I already know the answer to this, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Uh, <laughs> have you ever had a manufacturer come to you, especially in the last 10, 11 months during this pandemic and say, geez, Marie, uh, what you're telling me about investing in 5G and internet of things and getting a right. smarter, smarter uh, you know, uh, production floor from a data point of view sounds great, but I'm barely making it financially right now. How do you expect me, um, with all the uncertainty of that, 
to make investments, capital investments in a more automated infrastructure around here while keeping the talent that we have busy enough to withstand payroll requirements. I mean, how do you, how do you have that dichotomy of conversation with you know, manufacturing leaders these days? It's really about helping them understand where they can pivot to revenue. So how can we get some money in here and and being able to come in and assess that and figure out what's going on. I sit and talk with a lot of manufacturers who will say to me, and a lot of folks in general, who will just say, well, in 2019, because 2020 is a a weird year. And it's like, no, 2020 really happened. It's for real. (laughs) We're in it at the time. We're in it. (laughs) So we're going to have to deal with it. And uh, so now your sales are this. They're, they're not that number back there or the number you were thinking they were going to be. They're this. And so from that standpoint, understanding, well, how can you change that? What are your options? And really going back through growth strategies and saying, what are the options for you to do? What can we do fast? What can we do easy and get you moving and get some cash in the door? So it's really prioritizing. We do a little triage sort of thing to figure out what, you know, what, if you're not barely, if you're barely making it, let's, let's have that conversation and, and having that conversation of, do you want to even try anymore? Um, I was just on a recording earlier for um, M&A and how COVID has changed that. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing at M&A firms more and more owners, even some age 50 coming in and saying, I'm tired, I'm tired and I'm done. I don't want to deal with people issues anymore. I don't want to deal with COVID issues anymore. I don't want to deal with this and this. This isn't what I wanted to do. This isn't fun anymore. I want out. So I think there, it's really sitting down with them and deciding, okay, let's have that um, conversation. And, and I know I've gotten through if at the end of the conversation, they look at me and say, wow, I haven't even told my spouse this yet. So from that standpoint, getting through to them and helping them understand what are those options. And you know what? saying no and and selling as an option too and saying yes to something else is an option I think people get kind of hemmed into this is where I have to go and have because I've always done it that way and really saying you know no you know other options are available to you and you just have to you may not choose them but they're available so really helping them figure out where you know get the cash rolling if you have to get the cash rolling and then we start to step that out and really help them understand how they build on each other and what are you willing to invest in and what aren't you willing to invest in? Where do you want to go personally as a business owner too? That's what I love about the show title of this podcast, by the way, everybody's got fog. I mean, these, <laughs> yeah. these manufacturing owners, oh, yeah. they're, they're trying to navigate and run through that fog and sometimes they're tired or it's not fun right. anymore. And it's, you know, it's really, it's gotta be refreshing for them to at least have somebody like, you be able to, to kind of emotionally detached from that situation and say, right. here are the options. Hey, you want to make it fun again? Do this, try this, that type right. of stuff. And, and right. you know, it, it probably is um, from an under certainty or uncertainty point of view, Eric, you and I have talked about this uh, sort of uh, key theme in this podcast, you know, helping them really realize the uncertainties and how to cope with them, uh, run at them, not, a, not away yeah. from them. In many right. cases, it's got to be really fun for you. No, it is. And it's because you know, I had that conversation with somebody yesterday where we're, you know, hours into a conversation with a president and a $20 million company. And suddenly he tells me they're really good at something. And I was like, wait a second, you, you never mentioned that. And he goes, well, 
well, I guess I don't think about it. And I said, well, that's the point of talking to somebody else who doesn't know anything about it because they can pick out the pieces. And it is interesting running through the fog because when you had told me the name of this, I don't, when uh, we moved to California uh, out in Visalia, the central San Joaquin Valley, they have something out there called Thule fog. Oh. And I was like, fog? <laughs> How bad can fog be? Um, right. It's a weird ground occurrence fog. <laughs> you can't see your hand in front of your face. You're like, you can see your shoes. <laughs> wow. So I think I kept thinking about, yeah, there's a lot of people running into the fog and it really, in a lot of cases, it's coming down to uh, ownership to and their personality. As you guys know, there's plenty of people that can deal with a whole lot of ambiguity and just bring it on and we'll go. And, and luckily I have that, or unluckily I have that trait. So, <laughs> so from that standpoint, depending upon what their level is, trying to get them as comfortable as you can. And, and sometimes it is that truth saying of, no, that's not going to work or no, that's not going to be able to, to be possible. So I think kind of clearing out that fog is fact and, and giving them some facts and saying, here's some options and telling them when to put the stick down on something that's not going to work. You know, they always have something they're holding on to the miracle. Um, I remember sitting with one particular client who swore that the boat business is going to save them. That that was just their next option was the boat business. And they talked about it so much, had no facts on it. So I finally, um, and it was actually yachts, not boats. So it was the yacht business. And I sent them to a, a trade show down in New Orleans. I said, here's a plane ticket, 50 bucks to go walk a show. All your customers would be at this show. Here, here's a list of questions. Go find this out. And so they went down and I, I got a hold of them. I'm like, how was it? And they go, well, after a couple hours, we left and we went and did some sightseeing. <laughs> what? <laughs> and they said, oh, in a couple hours, we figured out we couldn't possibly compete in this business. <laughs> <laughs> we need a 24 seven, uh, you know, 365 day a week uh, service people. And we can't do that. So, and I said, well, then put the stick down and quit beating yourself with it and let's go find something new that you can do. But you know, millions. Exactly. Right it didn't even cost them 500 bucks. And it and they have been talking about this for years. So I think there's, it's pushing to, uh, of being able to say to them and call back and say, hey, why haven't you done this? Hey, why haven't you done that? And, and I think, you know, owners and presidents of companies tend to get stuck in their own little world and suck their own exhaust. Um, I remember telling one president, I just texted him, go to your car and take your phone. <laughs> <laughs> and he had an open, he had an open office environment that he had just done. So everybody would have heard me yelling at him. So I yelled at him in his car, <laughs> 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 which he thanked me for. But still, it's like, why don't you have this done? Why don't you have that done? And I think there's that accountability too of, of just being understanding what the options are. And, and, and as you know, Eric, we've talked about this a lot. Strategy is about saying no. Yeah. And so just helping them understand that that strategy and figuring out where they're going to go in markets is about saying no to some stuff. And you can start, and, and so many of them don't know where to start. So then I get the list out. Okay, what, what aren't we going to do? And if you just get them rocking and rolling, then they can start to think about where they want to go. Yeah. So yeah. choice making, that's an interesting segue you did there. Is it a choice if there's no sacrifice? Um, I guess I ask Ooh. rhetorically. Uh, and how do you know that you've considered all your options and that you're sacrificing the right options in pursuit of the optimal choice? You know, but then you can, you know, that's the thing, because a lot of them will, 
turn into analysis paralysis, right? There's yeah. got to be another option coming. There's some double dog secret market I don't know about. That's probably I run into more than anything else. You know, there's that secret one that's just out there that's just awesome. And I just have to wait for it to come around. It's like, no, 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 no. Make a decision now with the information you have. And you know what? You get to change your mind if you get further information that will indeed move you in a different direction. But you don't get the luxury of standing still. So you have right. to make a choice. So that's, and that's probably the hardest part for a lot of people is the choicing um, aspect of it. And, but there's other folks who have been very conscious choice makers. I know of somebody who has 10 of the exact same machining centers um, so that he can move people, and they are identical. And didn't buy them all at once, but made that choice that that's what he wanted. And he moves people from unit to unit. And so he can like shift his labor uh, depending upon what needs to be made on that. But he's got the limit of he can only make things 10 inches long in his particular market. And that's it. And so from that standpoint, you really have to make sure you've got your selling organization straight on that. And you're talking to enough people, but yeah. that's a strategic choice. And, and it's something that's worked out for him. And I think that's what people don't want to do is make choices. They want to, as I said, use a, a shotgun to knock down prospects and, and markets instead of a rifle, rather swing a dead cat at 10 than a hundred or a hundred instead of a yep. thousand. <laughs> but that's, you're, there's always that. It's, the, it's like a weird FOMO thing, like fear of missing out. Like you're going to miss that extra special market that isn't there. Um, just do the research, figure it out, make your best shot. Doesn't work. Start over again. And I think that's the biggest thing, giving people a process that they can think through things. And that's usually what they're missing is that process oriented. Okay. This, uh, this, okay. If I do that and then the next thing, guess what? You can rinse and repeat. So from that standpoint, I think it's a, a big one to help them get over that. It, it, this isn't your choice forever. That reminds me, that reminds me of the immunity to change principle mm. which is a powerful part of industrial psychology with this. Yeah. And for the listeners who are, haven't heard of that before, it's um, making it less comfortable to stay put than it is to move forward. Uh, and the systematic undermining, of course, consultants know how to do this pretty well if we're good at what we do, <laughs> systematically undermining the immunity to change is a big part of your success factor. And, and so showing that uh, pathway in a in a way that's bright and attractive, while at the same time making the current reality of do nothing and analysis paralysis and wait and yeah. see how it emerges make that intolerable. Talk about that. You know, from that standpoint, I find that's a lot of because I deal with a lot of engineers, so it's numbers. You know, making sure that they understand what the potential is. I always tell people, you know, our average that we average savings is uh, or growth is a million dollars. So let's go find your million. That usually gets their attention. Right. So from that, you know, just from the let's go out there and take a look. So trying to get them to move off of that and understand that there's a return on that. Um, <laughs> but sometimes you just can't get them to move. I had uh, I did I was selling a uh, systems integration uh piece of equipment when I was working for a, a food and bev integration company. And I'm standing there with a return on investment that says one line, one plant, they had multiples, um, $18 million over three years. Hmm. Couldn't get them to move. <laughs> huh. I'm like, 
apparently money doesn't do it for you. I've got to figure out something else. So sometimes that just that inertia and that, that I, it can't be wrong. And I think that's embedded in a lot of company cultures that you can't fail. You can't be wrong. Um, I have somebody with like that right now who is terrified of being wrong and mm. not getting the numbers and the information right. And then being, as they put it, hung with a number. So I think there's trying to get them past that with information and, and really understand what that looks like so they can make decisions and, and push them in a direction that's probably the best way to do that. Right, right on. Eric, why don't you, uh, now might be a fun time in the, in the show to tell the story about how we met Marie in the first place. <laughs> Boy, I better not. Why don't you? <laughs> I, it was relatively early into my time you know, yeah. here at Aurora. And I remember Eric coming to me and saying, hey, meet Marie. She's uh, over at Whitfley, a, a local, um, you know, regional, I guess I should say, uh, accounting and an audit firm, you know, right? And they, they do a lot of other things, including IT con, you know, cons, consultations and, and so on. Um, and Marie thinks she needs some type of software environment to you know, manage what's going on with, with Whitfleet's business. And maybe we ought to get in the software business. And I thought kind of speaking to this immunity of change, like, dude, you, I, I'm barely like my ears are still wet uh, from joining this company. And now you're telling me we're going to all of a sudden pivot and not be just straight line research. And we're going to get in the software business. We okay. don't know how to do that. Yeah. Immunity <laughs> to change here. I, here I, here I'm vulnerable. Um, and it, but, Looking back on it, it was obviously a huge, um, you know, not a small investment on our side no. that we had to get right with, but we were able to leverage the trust that had, I think, been built between Marie and Eric uh, back in 2003, 04, you know, 05, and ultimately it led to, to us acquiring one of my best friends, you know, from college, Greg, you know, to come on board and, and build this software environment to, Marie, what do you remember from that? And then I'll invite Eric to, to comment on it just from those earliest conversations. Right, right. Yeah, because we, you know, I, I did a lot of, I wish I had. <laughs> that was a lot of those where I was a little, wish I had this, I wish I could do that. And, and just, you know, kind of on the fly use cases of here's my issue with these people. And if I only had something like that. And then I do remember um, bringing on board and, and doing a lot of testing and and a lot of, uh, you know, honest criticism, and a lot of honest uh, testing on that, but it was a great product. Um, I, I do remember one thing that was, um, I because I got a lot of phone calls on it. When I finally implemented the software, somebody said to me, um, hey, uh, it's only in the cloud. We can't print this. And my answer was, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> And so I got numerous folks that, that, that they just, there would just be silence. So I'm like, I'm not giving them any more information than that unless they ask. Right. <laughs> so it was like, no. And, and there were a few that pushed and it's like, no, 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 we don't, this need not be lying on your desk. Cause again, they were CPAs and consultants who have a fondness for paper. Mm. So uh, yeah, that was, I remember that part of it. Just a lot of testing and a lot of taxonomy and, and figuring out what that looked like. Um, and what, how, what it could be and where we could move it and move it around. Um, it was a great, it was a great product for me and it was a great diversion for my day to day <laughs> to be able to kind of put that together and, and say, okay, here we go. Here's something that we can use and 
really, from my standpoint, I, it allowed us not to be able to hire, you know, I didn't have budget to hire more people. It allowed me to get more done without hiring, you know, without having a hiring budget <laughs> and right. be able to provide information back. And, and so I just remembered spending a lot of time with Greg <laughs> uh, <yep. laughs> on the phone and, uh, and testing various pieces. And, and then once we rolled it out, taking phone calls on, why doesn't this do this? Uh, let me tell you why it's not going to do that. And here's why. <laughs> yeah. So no, it was good. And, and it was a great product and, and still ends to be able to work at and, and keep information in and, and be able to do analysis and, you know, be able to multiply. I remember that was the big thing is multiply me. I didn't, we didn't, the junk at the company was we don't need two Marie's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> so from that standpoint, you know, is the questioning everything. So um, it was great to be able to multiply my brain um, with a piece of software. And it was just cool to see it come to life. Excellent. Yeah. I, uh, my dog has decided to start barking in the background, by the way. So apologies <laughs> for that. If we leave it in, uh, meet Freya, uh, the baddest hound in the junkyard. Uh, she's about that big. Uh, too, but... <laughs> oh, a dog who lives big. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, definite Napoleon complex there on her part. But anyway, I wanted to share that, uh, you know, hanging out with Greg Irvin, there's a lot worse things. Uh, Greg, no, no, uh, it was great. You know, here we are 16 years later, almost. Greg's still our chief technology officer and really architect of, of our technology strategy and, and how that comes together. It's been fun recently. Um, as Derek and I have started this strategic revisioning with Aurora to see where First Light fits into our longer term uh, plan and, and kind of how that really almost becomes an analytics application server is sort of how I think of First Light today. Um, and First Light as a service that can plug into other systems in a much more um, virtual way rather than having to stand up an entire environment and you know customize and all the things go along with that um, i think a lot of sort of where software and technology is headed in the future is not only as a service but really as a utility that provides capabilities that other software is lacking and that can really allow that the the current installed base of, of whatever your stack is or looks like to do things that you wished it could do um, and from our standpoint, you know, frankly, Marie, we would not be in that business today if it weren't for you. So oh, thanks again. You're we owe welcome. you a steak at least. <laughs> and well, that was, what's really nice is because it was in the cloud, which at that time was a, what, right. um, sort of thing. It, it, it allowed me to bypass it <laughs> and, and be able to put some software in place and some things in place without having to go through a big approval process. That was one nice, and I remember having many a parking lot, driving around town, just, you know, conversations with Greg. <laughs> just what if, what if I could? Right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I sort of see that, Eric, you, you talked about the GE jet engine not being, you know, sold to them. It's, it's leased as a utility. Yeah. And I think that in this world going forward, you probably see it on a daily basis, Marie, with your, your clients, you know, people need that flexibility to use it as a utility right. and maybe not ingest the, the huge capital upfront capital expenditure required to do these things. Where right. are you seeing similar situations uh, available to these you know, small, medium-sized manufacturers for 
and maybe it's related to 5G and Internet of Things. We talked about that a few minutes ago, but yeah. any, um, any obvious ways in which um, maybe uh, production uh, equipment as a utility situations are starting to unveil themselves? That, you would uh, you think, I haven't, to... yeah, you would think they would, but I haven't seen a lot. Um, and, and, you know, it's really prevalent in the software area, but from that standpoint, I haven't seen a lot where it's kind of far away. I can't think of an example, to tell you the truth, um, of something that would come to mind in that regard. I was going to say, didn't they do that with printing machines where you could, oh, yeah. you'd, you'd lease yeah. a giant printing yes. press kind of thing and or you know making paper right. and stuff like that right and you well equipment wise you can lease anything and you right. know from that standpoint um so you can make leasing agreements for that um that's pretty much standard because it's more of an accounting thing too then you you don't have to have all the capital outlay and you've got that aspect of it but other that. services i can't think of other services that i mean other than a lot are, you know, from the HR standpoint, leasing, leasing HR, leasing people, if you will. The, the big thing I, you know, we even just started it is really outsource people or fractionals, you know, bringing leasing people. So, okay, I need a little bit of expertise in this, that, or the other thing for a short period of time. So I'm leasing the person to come in and do that, which you get in this, especially in older industries, you get in this mindset, I got to own it. So it's sort of like we're slowly getting to the, we don't have to own the people either as full-time employees. We can lease them um, on an as-needed basis. So that's kind of the, the flexibility that goes with that. Right. Um, but other ones, I don't, I can't think of any. Yeah. Yeah. From a talent point of view, especially when, you know, back to the point of, uh, hey, I'm barely making it. How do I, how do I acquire yeah. talent and, and kind of uh, cross that chasm uh, right. of getting to a size where it makes sense to bring them on board? But until then, you know, dealing with that. So, you know, it's no different, you know, achieving yeah. scale with uh, fractional or virtual, you know, team members, team leaders. I think it's a great, great opportunity for a lot of businesses. I know we do it here and it's, you know, it's worked out really well for us. Right. Especially like, you know, something you don't need all the time, a CFO. You know, I don't need a CFO every day of the week. I just need the, you know, some scenario planning or maybe some other kind of planning or some modeling um, or some other special tasks. And I can just kind of lease myself a CFO for a little bit and, and kind of go back to the other way. So and, we, and operations people, too. Maybe you've got somebody that walks out um, and leaves, goes to another opportunity or, you know, we're in COVID times, other things could happen. Yeah. So from that standpoint and have, so from that standpoint, okay, how are we going to get somebody in here fast and, and be able to do that and get that done? Right. Or maybe they pick up a new customer and they need some expertise in that particular aspect. Yep. Amazing. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely a brave new world that we're skating into here in 2021. Um, and this has been a fun conversation, Marie. I'm so glad we were having you on here so early in the launch of this podcast. This is episode two, uh, by the way. Uh, so uh, thank you uh, for that. Any final words for our uh, probably what is a pretty tiny audience, at least to begin <laughs> with, but who knows? Maybe people are going to go back and listen to this five years from now. and We can make some forecasts about the future that turn out to be, eh, I don't know, less wrong than your average forecaster. Weather man. Right. <laughs> than your average weather guy. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I think from the standpoint, I think we'll look back and and if we were if we were smart, we'll look back on this time and during the pandemic as as a turning point when a lot of things changed. And you know, one of the the ones I see. And I've heard a lot of in the last two weeks, if not the last three months, is I didn't understand um, how people could possibly work remote. Mm. Between the three of us, we've been doing it a while. (laughs) So I think there's suddenly a a huge interest in how can we continue to have people work remote and make this permanent or at least semi-permanent, maybe on a part-time basis. So I, I think that we won't, in five years, we won't be having that conversation. It, How the about the future? <laughs> How about the future of trade shows? Do you think that yacht co- convention is happening yeah. in New Orleans this year, or is are there other ways for makers of things to meet their market and channels and distributors and so on that that are emerging? That's an interesting question because that's been a, a question that's been asked a lot in the last three weeks. Um, I have some people who are couldn't possibly imagine anything other than a train show or as as it was said to me a place where I go around and hold a drink and talk and talk business and it's like well that might not work anymore I think it's going to change it'll be interesting to see how it it comes out Um, we actually have a a lot of people who are looking at how do I do some lead generation that's really kind of warming stuff up for me um, using something weird called a phone so uh, one of those kind of old school devices. People so, use those still? Yeah. Like, those still exist? Yeah, the talky talky <laughs> part of that phone. <laughs> so there are some people we're going to try. Uh, they're having some luck with phoning. Um, and uh, so we'll try that. But I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. We're doing a, a virtual conference and will conferences come back? I think there, there's a certain amount of people who really need to get out and, and be with people. And, and my prediction there, Eric, I think it's gonna be a, uh, a twofold. I think there's going, the virtual is not gonna go away. They're gonna, they figured out they can reach more people and, and there might be two different price points or two different versions, but I think there's, it's gonna be a hybrid. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, I hope you're right. One of the things that we're investing in uh, in the next couple of years is building uh, communities online yeah. where, uh, customers and vendors and thought leaders can come together and do so really more on a 24 7 365 basis than that kind of two or three days out of the year and so uh once we've got that out there i'd love to get your opinion on it and have you back on the show uh here in a few months yeah no problem sounds cool derek any final words for marie in the meantime keep being a truth teller marie uh thanks for running into the fog uh you know with us yeah Uh, you know for a decade and a half plus now. It's It's yeah. been uh, really a privilege to have you in our network. Perfect. Right thank you. You guys too. Well, thanks again, everybody, for joining us for this second edition of Running Into the Fog with the Joe Bros and our sister from another mister, Marie Manshine, uh, <laughs> who I can't wait to crack a beer with uh, in the hopefully not too distant future and not have to wear two masks while we do it. So <laughs> thanks again, Marie. You're welcome. Thanks,